0: Warning, the following episode may contain explicit language. We don't know at this moment if it does, but it probably will. In the 1960s, after a long journey through the rural hills of Kentucky, a persistent hematologist finally finds the person he has been
1: looking for. Uh, hello there. May I help you? Mr. Fugate, you
2: are not easily located. I've searched all over these mountains to find you.
1: Well, I allow you're right. I'm not easy to find. Why you in a white coat? You some sort of doctor? What brought you all the way out here?
2: Well, I'm here because I think I can help you with your problem. Hmm. Problem? What problem? Well, your unusual coloration. I have reason to believe that it's due to a treatable disorder.
1: You, uh, you talking about my blue skin? Well, yes, of course. Look, look, look. I've been blue my whole life. I'm 60 years old and I, I feel fine. I, I don't see what the problem is.
2: Yeah, but your skin is so blue.
1: Now, I'll say again, my skin has been blue my entire life. I imagine your skin has had that same sickly pale complexion your entire life. Have you gone to someone to change it? Does it bother you? Probably not.
3: Well, it's just that if I'm right... I think you have
2: a particular condition called...
1: Now, 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 listen here. My parents were blue. My grandparents were blue. It might not surprise you to know that my children are blue. We're all just blue. Aside from being side-glanced by persons such as yourself, it's not a big deal. Yeah, but what if it was detrimental to your health? I suppose it might be. But it suited my grandfather and grandmother just fine well into their 90s. didn't bother them, and it doesn't bother me.
2: Look, I see where you're coming from but if I'm right and you have the condition I suspect, I can put this here substance into your blood and fix the issue. If it works, you'll likely turn from blue to, well, like me.
1: You're referring to that bottle in your hand with the blue stuff in it?
2: Uh, yes, sir, it's called methylene blue. I can use this as a medicine and I'm sure it'll work.
1: And uh, how are you supposed to give me that?
2: Well, I have to start an IV, place a needle in your vein to give the medication, If it works, it'll last at least a few days.
1: All right, all right. But just to summarize, you're a stranger who has been wandering around the backwoods of Kentucky wearing a white coat while carrying a blue liquid in a little glass bottle. You heard legends about the blue people living at this here residence. You figured you'd uh, introduce yourself and offer to stab my arm with a needle to give me your blue liquid to turn me pink for a few days to prove your theory correct about my condition. Uh, Yes, that is precisely what I was looking to do. Now, have me say that out loud back to you, do you think a fellow like me would be more or less likely to say yes to a fellow like you? Ye- yes?
2: I feel like you want me to say yes.
1: I do not know, sir, that we are communicating on the same level.
2: But what if I was successful and then we wrote up your entire medical history as a famous case study published throughout the world? We'd be remembered forever.
1: I feel like you don't know how bad you are at convincing people.
2: Alright, so that's a yes. Uh, to me, it sounds like a yes.
1: You didn't even say please. Uh, please? Way too slow.
2: Uh, please? <laughs> oh, man. You don't. For We look at cases
3: throughout <laughs> history. Just Max in there and make me You gotta listen, you don't have to read
0: This is Poor Historians, a podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three practicing emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. How how is your blood doing
1: today, gentlemen? It's nice and nice and blue. I like it.
2: I think mine's fine. I was a little lightheaded earlier today, but I had three cups of coffee. But it you're, may have been from low hemoglobin. Maybe. You never know.
0: <laughs> well, there are ways to find out. However, I will tell you that my blood today is still filled with endorphins from going to a live wrestling pay-per-view. And it was the best thing ever.
1: All Elite Wrestling, shout out. Nice. Please sponsor our show. Please. Your your blood was pumping. I wonder how many sayings we have to do with blood. I think a lot. We got a lot, a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of metaphors. Well, either way.
0: Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice. It exists only to entertain. There are plenty of places to learn to be a better doctor, but we like to think of this podcast as a slice of medical chocolate cream pie. It's of very little nutritional value, but it's tasty with a little sugar-induced dopamine rush. So with that, let's uh, let's get to whatever we're talking
1: about today. Yeah. So today, we're going to talk about a gentleman named Madison Kawain the third, and the third is an important distinction because this was this man was a grandson of the great Madison Kawain known as the Keats of Kentucky. Uh, mm. He was a right, yeah, was a Kentucky poet laureate of who is the Keats of Kentucky? I, I don't know. I think it's just for the alliteration. There's a whole another a whole another uh, set of articles on this gentleman. He was a famous published poet of the time, but uh, he wasn't a to doctor. No, he was not. Not at all. Oh. So the apple fell far from the tree. All right. Well, this has nothing to do with that guy then. No, not not really. Madison, he was a... <laughs> Sorry, Just it was a dead end. Maybe we could cut that out. I don't it's know. It's a great reference. I like the reference. I, I couldn't Everybody knows avoid putting Kentucky, it in. Please continue. There's a lot of alliteration. So. so anyway, the Madison we're talking about was a Kentucky hematologist that happened onto an irresistible mystery, uh, given that he had a thing for blood that dated back to the war, as it were. It's he was a, a fact. I, well, that's how he how he got into it. He was a, a medical technician in World War Two, and he fell in love with medicine because of the way blood looked under the microscope, as he says it. That's that's not right. Yeah,
2: it's <laughs> awfully Dexter sounding. <laughs> it's
1: it's a little creepy. Just a, Well, I don't know. I mean, we don't hang out with a lot of pathologists. Maybe they all have this moment where they're in histology and they just fall in love with colors. It's It's possible. Did
2: anyone ever see his reflection in a mirror?
1: Uh, yes. I think they,
2: during the I day, did they specifically mention this?
1: No.
0: It's
2: then we problem. don't know for sure that he's not a vampire.
1: <laughs> you're right. That's true.
0: That's true. Does that mean that all pathologists are vampires? I don't no. think that,
1: I don't think that follows. Do we have any
0: pathologists? Please not reach all out pathologists. to us and tell us if you're a vampire.
2: <laughs> They're not going to tell you. <laughs> well, maybe they would. No, they wouldn't because they can't come into your home unless you invite them in. Right. Isn't that the yeah. rule? They
1: can email though.
2: Yeah, just be like, hey, can I come over? And you say yes, and then... Oh, oh that'd be bad. No, it, yeah,
1: yeah if, if you get an email from a pathologist, just don't invite him over. That's that's the way to be safe. Which is a little bit <laughs> mean. <laughs> it's it's a, little, a, little mean, a little mean. Anyway. Invite pathologists to your house. They're fine. They're good people. <laughs> yeah, no, this is true. I'm just trying to avoid getting derailed here. We haven't even made it through the first paragraph. Have you
2: ever seen... Question, real question. Have you ever seen a pathologist?
1: Yeah, we we had in the basement of the VA, and that's where we had our pathology rounds. We'd go down into the basement. They had the best coffee down there, and we'd have rounds with the pathologist guy. I forget his name, but he was awesome. He'd just pull stuff out of bins that had been in formaldehyde for years and show it to us. It was the best class. Take a bite out of the liver, put it back in the glass. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Because they are vampires. Anyway, this vampire slash hematologist... Went to Harvard, ended up in Lexington, Kentucky, um, because that's where he was from originally, actually. Started to hear rumors about Blue Hill people down in Hazard, Kentucky, to the south, and that piqued his interest. He started driving down from Lexington, where he lived, to search for these people and found a witness in a nurse, Ruth Pendergrass, who described her first encounter after a patient came into clinic in the winter. So... She had a 60-some-year-old patient come in from the cold in Kentucky with severe blue color of the skin and especially the nails, almost indigo in color, scared her to death, thought the patient was having a heart attack, but the patient was totally fine. And once the patient warmed up, she was still blue. Um, she related that this was nothing new to her, that she was one of the, quote, blue Combses who live up on Ball Creek. And Ruth didn't think too much of it until she met Kowain, who was searching for these people who enlisted her help. So basically, this patient walks into the clinic, is just blue as can be. Yep. yep. Doesn't sound like that's why she's there. Slate blue. Nope, nope. I mean, I, I maybe she was cold or so It didn't actually say in, in what I read about what the visit was about. They just, they couldn't get past the blue color. She's, she's there for she's like a hangnail or something. or like, ma'am, you are blue. You want to talk
0: about this? And
1: she's like, nope, I'm returning to the hills. Yeah, she, she needed a work excuse, so.
2: no fair. So when we say blue, we're not saying they're depressed. We're saying they're actually blue.
1: Oh, no, blue color, like slate blue. <laughs> yeah, like slate blue, like their, their skin was slate. Yeah, totally blue. So then uh, as he was trying to look into this mystery, this good doctor, presumably in his white coat for a few months at least, scrambled up and down the hills of rural Kentucky, like driving into the valleys, literally trying to find these people just because there was no other way to search for him. So he had stories. So so,
0: hold on. You're saying he's cruising around in his white coat and his safari hat with a machete (laughs) on his hip, just hacking and slashing through the Ozarks. To find the mysterious blue people, is, yeah, yeah, is how with, this happened. Yeah, with, that's Nurse, with Nurse
1: Ruth. Well, this is the history from Nurse Ruth and and the good oh, doctor. Okay. Yeah, and okay. I mean, yeah, and it's not too far ago. I mean, this is the '60s. So, um, he he gave stories of colorful stories of hound dogs at every house, and they would chase him off. And then every once in a while, he would see a blue person through the trees at the top of a hill, and he'd take off running after him, but they'd always get away, <laughs> which just strange. So. <laughs> Okay. So he can't find him. And eventually he's in clinic and has her just doing his actual job instead of running around the woods. It's nice to be able to get away with that while you're actually employed. But, mm-hmm. um, and a couple came walking into clinic while he was there and they were the Richies were another offshoot of a clan of people related to a whole family called the Fugates. Many of whom had this blue color. Um, the Richies were actually, you know, they are described as being very pained at presenting to the clinic and sort of embarrassed about their color. But otherwise, they were completely healthy. So again, it doesn't even say what they were there for. <laughs> it just said, I ruled out a heart condition. So it's these people that are blue, and they don't like to go to doctors, and that, that was sort of this, this mystery. But he had actually found somebody.
0: Well, I, th- I think actually an interesting side story on this was one of my very first experiences as a resident at a pediatric hospital. And I walk into a room, and I'm, this might have been my literal first day of residency. And I walk into a room. For what was described on the chart as an upper respiratory infection or cold, mm-hmm. and in oh, I think it was like a sixteen month old or something, and uh, I walk into the room and sitting on this lady's lap is a pretty much completely blue child, nice who is registering something like eighty two percent on the pulse oximeter, okay. laughing and babbling and looking completely fine, and since it's like my first day and if you, you don't know much and. Your first day of residency you just know that something seems very wrong i'm gonna go get my attending definitely and i walked back out i got the attending i was like there's a blue child in this room and of course the attending comes running in there with me in the way that we're going down the hall i'm trying to explain I'm like yeah the kid's really blue but i mean they look great i don't know i i didn't do much of an exam because i just walked in blue kid let's <laughs> go get help and uh it turns out uh, kind of interesting not related to the story but the, the this is a common thing if you have a kiddo with a certain types of heart condition and uh this kiddo is typically blue uh because they had a uh, hypoplastic left heart syndrome and all the plumbing of their heart is rerouted and we won't get into it now but it's uh you can be you can be blue without uh, being significantly sick is the moral of the story
1: yeah, those people just live in that region and are still in my mind terrifying. Sorry if anyone's listening that happens to have that condition.
2: <laughs> You're terrified of babies with hypoplastic hearts.
1: Yes, I'm terrified of what's going to happen. Also babies oh, that yes. walk around with, you know, little backpacks that infuse them with heart medication constantly. There were some of those mm-hmm. too, at children's. Yeah. You you are scared of weird things.
0: Well, <laughs> that's not we don't like jump out and grab you. No. They're...
1: Well, I know, but they might get sick in front of me, and that would be uh, be professionally scary. Oh, professionally scary. Okay, that's reasonable.
0: That's reasonable. I
1: didn't Mm -hmm. think they were going to get me, but anyway. That so, what was going on with these people in Kentucky? Well, the doctor had his suspicions about reading about a similar problem in a faraway Alaskan village, but to solve the mystery, I think we have to go back to a love story in rural Kentucky in 1820. Oh boy! Would you have a banjo
2: that you can play in the background? Going
1: way back. We should. We should. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: we got it already right there. Maybe you can do it. I can beat a beatbox, the banjo throughout the rest of your story. I've got a
2: banjo. It's right oh, behind me. Nice.
1: So uh, Martin Fugate was a French orphan refugee who settled along Troublesome Creek and fell head over heels in the 1820s for a pale redhead named Elizabeth Smith, whose skin in the stuff I read was described as pale as the mountain laurel which must be a southern white flower, I assume. Um, And By some mystery, at that time, four of their seven children were blue, like a hard slate blue all over, just completely blue from head to toe, but otherwise healthy and normal. Uh, I imagine that was maybe a little bit awkward moment at birth.
0: Elizabeth Smith has just given birth to her first child. Martin Fugate, the father... Enters the room after the delivery.
1: Elizabeth, are you okay? How is little, uh, Hezekiah? I don't
3: recall green on the name Hezekiah.
1: Oh, it, it's just a suggestion, darling. I just feel like there's so many Owens these days and that we'd go for a little bit of a unique name.
3: I'm fine, Martin. Just look at him. Isn't he perfect?
1: Well, there he is. He, uh, he, he, he sure looks, uh, blue. A little blue?
3: What? I think he looks just a bit different in this dim light.
1: Well, I lie, oh, it's it's a bit dark in here, but, but I'd swear he looks just blue.
3: Oh, Martin, he's just perfect. He's been fed, he's sleeping, I, he's fine. Your eyes must not be working right.
1: Liz, I, I can't help but see that this kid's skin is as blue as the sky. Now, now I don't want to cast aspersions, but I have to wonder how two folks such as us went, went ahead and made a blue baby.
3: What exactly are you insinuating,
1: Martin? Oh, uh, darling, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just I'm just asking questions. I, I don't think babies are supposed to be that color. Martin,
3: this is absolutely your kid. He has your face. He has your blue eyes.
1: Yeah, but he's, he's blue everywhere, so his eyes ain't so surprising.
3: That's enough. I don't want to have you talking nonsense any further. This is our baby. I don't care what color he is. You're going to have to deal with that.
1: All right, all right, all right, darling. You're right, you're right. I don't know what got into me. It's just a bit of a shock, that's all. This being our firstborn. I do love my little Hezekiah all the same.
3: Oh, we're definitely not calling him that now.
1: Well, oh, fine, fine, fine. Do you, do you have another name in mind?
3: I think Rupert would suit him well.
1: Oh, I think that's that's a good name. Rupert just rolls off the tongue. I like that name. I don't I don't think I know anyone by that name.
3: Oh, it's the name of our postman. Just sprang into mind for some reason.
1: I, I said I'm sorry already.
3: I must have missed it then. Sweet little Rupert.
1: <sighs> <laughs> and, and and we're, we're back. Right. So And we're back. That's Sorry, you, you you go That's ahead. It's my job. I, I I got confused. I was <laughs> coming out of a deep hole in the out there. I, I had a hard time getting back to know him. All right. Okay. All right I'm going to let it pass this time. But anyway, so,
0: you know, that was obviously an interesting scene when it did totally happen exactly that way. And it makes me wonder, Aaron, do you happen to know how exactly did two non-blue persons end up with a perfectly healthy blue baby?
1: Yeah, well, uh, by some chance, these two both carried a recessive gene that caused a problem. They didn't have enough of a a certain molecule that fixed their blood when it's broken, basically, which, which I'll get to in a minute. Not sure far to how far down the genetic rabbit hole we want to go to, but this, this caused a condition in that family called methemoglobinemia. So methemoglobinemia is a problem with a molecule in our blood called hemoglobin. In all our red blood cells, we have this molecule. When it circulates into the lungs, it grabs oxygen through the walls of the lungs and then takes it to the whole body where it's to use to keep kind of everything going, keep our cells conveyor belts running and so on. So hemoglobin is perfect for this. It it likes oxygen enough to grab it in the lungs, but not so much that it holds on to it when it's lacking elsewhere in the body. It is built around iron molecules in methemoglobinemia. Some of the hemoglobin molecules have iron that's oxidized. And when that happens, they don't work. This actually happens kind of normally all the time when hemoglobin gives up its oxygen to body parts that need it, a small portion of the hemoglobin molecules are damaged and turned into methemoglobin. Oh,
0: man. For just a second there, I had like a organic chemistry flashback, <laughs> learning with oxidation
1: and yep. reduction. And uh, for three days, yeah. I was walking around going, oxidation, I lose, reduction, I gain oil rig, oil yes. rig, oxidation, I lose, reduction, I gain.
0: Leo Gur, <laughs> Leo Gur, somewhere, <laughs> okay. Dr. Dillon, if you happen to find this podcast, I remember that to this
1: day. Yep, to this day.
2: I didn't remember that at all. I, I really don't want I'm to go surprised. down
1: the rabbit hole of organic chemistry, though. Please, that that's a dark hole. It, it's, uh, I don't want to do that. But anyway, they're damn You damaged. can learn about it
0: on the dark web. Yes, definitely. <laughs>
1: um, it can also happen. The, this change can happen when hemoglobin encounters other molecules that cause changes at the molecular level. So there's, there's ways. But normally, our body fixes it. So it keeps these... Cells that aren't working at a very low level. Um, everybody's blood has some methemoglobin in it, just a very small amount. But in the genetic form, the fixing is the problem. The people can't fix their own methemoglobin, so they have a lot more than they normally would, and they're they're missing a what's called a housekeeping molecule, I guess, for lack of a better word. And chemistry molecules that change in this way sometimes change color, and that's the case here. Blood actually turns sort of chocolate covered. Don't get me started on how all old-timey doctors stuck us with descriptions of medical conditions that used foods like—I don't know if they were really hungry for chocolate or currant jelly or whatever they decided mm-hmm. to describe things as.
2: Oh, it's the currant kind of jelly gross. is the worst, though. <laughs> oh,
1: that's nobody buys currant jelly anymore because of it. That's mm-hmm. true. It—I think it went out of business distinctly because of that
0: description. Yeah, medical school—they actually were. I remember the the first time we heard of currant jelly-colored stool or sputum, the, the prof was like does anybody here know what a current is and <laughs> then had to explain what that currents are
1: something kind of gravy. I don't remember. Yeah. That it's like a little potential. berry, right? It's a little berry. Yeah, we and it currents looks like clus- going clusters. Yeah. Not a very good berry obviously because we let it go and we didn't seem to worry about it too much. We use it to describe stool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not good. Yeah. So
2: my stool is usually like Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't even know it. I've never seen Vegemite, actual Really It's Vegemite.
2: dark and tarry
1: <laughs> and sticky. You have a problem. You should probably it go see somebody. It gets everywhere. Yeah, you should, you should go <laughs> see somebody. Mike is full of Vegemite. Explains a lot. <laughs> it does. So the blood then turns the skin blue with the find. that's called cyanosis above a certain level that's pretty consistent. So just plain cyanosis as a physical exam finding or something you see in a patient, that happens when somebody isn't getting enough oxygen. So when people overdose or they have a bad pneumonia, um, their skin will turn blue. Um, But in these folks, it happens because they have enough chocolate blood that it shows sort of through and it just turns the, the color blue all over.
2: Have you guys ever heard that song, I? Chocolate anyway, Rain?
1: Ah, uh, no, but I don't. We want should play to hear that. Such a we song. Should. It's I'm not bad. bad. No, I, oh no. Okay, Purple Rain. I've heard of Purple Rain,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that's not blue or chocolate. Mm-hmm.
0: Who sings that? Was that? Is uh, that Elvis? Prince. I was just kidding. Come on, man.
1: The body's own response to the initial methemoglobin probably makes it worse because the chocolate blood just sucks at carrying oxygen. So the body makes more good red blood, but that raises the absolute amount of the chocolate blood because more but the same percentage of the good blood is ruined and the color gets stronger. So you get this sort of feedback loop and the steady state. They actually usually have more, quite a bit more hemoglobin than they would normally, but it's just there's half of it but not half, but a fair amount's bad. So the result is this slight <laughs> blue color that is striking, but also harmless. And these people didn't need much extra medical attention at all. Many of them lived well into their 80s and 90s. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So back to Kawain, who had read about the cure for this condition called methylene blue from an article that described methemoglobinemia and the science needed to identify the genes and proteins involved that studied a similarly isolated population of Inuit people in Alaska who had the same problem. So we were just, the science had just now caught up to the point that they could identify, you know, proteins and, and genes and so on and figure out what this actually was. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. And Methylene blue is a salt used in chemistry that activates an alternate pathway to fix the methemoglobin, and it can be relatively safely injected overall. It does work very quickly, and Cowain was able to temporarily turn the blue Fugates and the blue Combses and the blue Richies pink until it wore off. Um, unfortunately, it does have some side effects. It's safe overall if anyone ever needs it, but the blue color doesn't seem to make any of them sick, so they had, you know couple days or, or, or of being pink and then they went back again he did turn it in pill form too and they can take that like daily but i don't know if it really caught on that much i don't
0: think i've ever prescribed it but you've used it right i've used it once uh, i'm not i've used it once for methemoglobinemia, in fact mm-hmm. um, but this was not a genetic cause this was somebody who had it induced by a medication they were given for a hospital procedure and they had Unbeknowing to them, another underlying genetic condition that uh, made them susceptible to it, and so they they were given this medication, and uh, they walked right out of a emergency medicine textbook right right into our ER. And uh, well, it was, it was pretty easy. The diagnosis was pretty easy at that point, and I got to order methylene blue, and it was it was everything I hoped it would be. And That's kind of cool.
1: Did they like turn pink right away?
0: uh i i got wandered i wandered off and had to do other stuff that it kind of <laughs> you got, you
1: got bored. it's like a perfect wonderful case and that's such an emergency medicine answer you're like yeah. oh yeah i kind of got bored of it <laughs> like it lasted longer than 15 seconds i was like yeah <laughs> i gotta, I gotta go ever, do something else
2: you ever injected a knee with it
0: mm-hmm. no we were using
1: saline by the oh. time i was learning that
2: yeah old school would be methylene blue in the knee
1: yeah it's a tiny bit caustic right isn't that why they stopped it I'm not sure, but I did that once and it was, I mean, you could definitely see when it came out the other side, so you can use it as a marker. So basically an
0: injury near the knee and you're not sure if the injury hurt the knee joint. So then you take the methylene blue and you inject it into the knee joint and see if it spills out the wound
1: essentially. Yep, yep. And it showed up on the other side of it. So it shows up in the wound. You're like, oh, that's a problem. Somebody's and- going to the OR. Yep. And as you mentioned, the the other big cause of this is certainly uh, certain toxins and such can cause this problem. And it's a bigger problem then because your body hasn't adjusted. So you, it's like you suddenly just lose a bunch of functional hemoglobin. So,
0: so these guys who are genetically predisposed, they've had it all their life. Their body accumulates or uh, acclimates to it. And they can be cyanotic and blue and technically a little bit lower on oxygen. It doesn't harm them. But for you or me, we're not used to this, and suddenly we lose a bunch of our oxygen capacity. To suddenly chocolate blood, it's a problem. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yep, they definitely they they adjusted. It. It also seems like there are some other sort of darker sides to this whole saga, and sort of a reason why the families were so ostracized. It does sound oh, like it always ends up in dark places. <laughs> I, well, um, you know, yeah, that's medical just, history to ruin is, everything. Ugh. But this one wasn't, this wasn't necessarily the doctor's fault this time. So it sounds like these folks suffered a, just a lot of prejudice because they were what's called, you know, non-white. So they, you know, there were reports of them suffering from a fair amount of discrimination and racism. Um, in I don't know. Kentucky.
2: I don't know that it was because they were non-white. It was because they were blue. <laughs> oh,
1: okay, fine. That's, <laughs> yeah, okay. It wasn't.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Okay. They're
2: blue. This is weird. It's <laughs> unusual. Are they aliens? Yeah. No, it's the 1960s, but then you think, yeah, this is just kind of.
1: Well, all the way back to the 1820s, but I I wouldn't say if you took the period of the 1820s to the 1960s in the rural South that you would, you know, tolerance would come to mind. No, it was a very progressive time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was hoping it was maybe not as big a deal, but there, you know, there is a whole book called the book, woman of troublesome Creek, which is an interesting read for those who like historical fiction that uses the region and the family as a backdrop. And, I found a, a comment, actually a family member wrote in and wrote a review that sort of first person validated some of this suffering. Of course, it's the Internet, so you never know. But, you know, it read as as real and, and there were times when it was very uncomfortable. There were also stories of the last fugate, as it were, um, being teased by medical students because the baby would turn blue when he cried. <laughs> So they'd stand and make the baby cry to to see him change color. You know, just I, I suppose that's not too terrible, but it just kind of didn't make me feel great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason he would change back and forth is because he had sort of a weaker expression of the of the gene as it started to eventually go away. Another boy was who had the disorder was teased at school because when he got mad, he would turn blue. So just a little bit of stress or tension or change in the blood flow. would. Come- <laughs> Which I could totally see school children doing that. That kind of tracks. But hopefully once
0: that kid got older, learn to harness that as like, as like a faked superpower.
1: <laughs> Pretty cool. I mean, I feel like it could be applied for something. Yeah, wrestling. That guy, if he had gotten jacked oh. and, and gotten a lot of skills, imagine if he could like turn blue when he was angry. The That'd blue all... brawler? Yeah, he, he could have like. That is not a bad gimmick. That'd be all, right. The whole arena would be able to They'd go nuts don't you think Like the guy starts I'm turning take blue so he gets so angry.
0: Zone Until I become blue and then I can be a wrestler
1: <laughs> One of the uh, bluest Of the blue Fugates according to relatives Named Luna Fugate Which is a little bit on the nose Calling a blue girl a moon name but whatever I mean the parents named her that so Yeah he had a lifelong love called John Stacy Who built her a log cabin up in the woods But even though Everyone else remembers her as blue. He actually refuses or he refused to agree when interviewed. Like he just, it was sort of a blind spot for him. He couldn't bring himself to, to agree that she was blue. He Just say, no, she wasn't. So
2: did he have blue, blue peach color blindness?
1: <laughs> um, blue. you know, now you're saying that that's no, cause he knew the rest of the family was blue. Just the woman he loved, hmm. he said, no, nah, she wasn't blue. Uh, my brief research, kind of hard to catalog exactly how difficult this was, but it, it highlights how we tend to treat those who are different in some way. It also highlights how we're able to live with all sorts of differences amongst those we count as our own family, our own circle. Because this family was, I was happy. There were many, multiple generations, and they intermarried. And you know, I think you know the, their life sounds quite rich in in many many ways. So that that was kind of, I guess, hopeful. Very interesting. So, and then you know, you you think that's the end of the story? Madison Cohen, the third was just a curious hematologist. But I know this is a medical podcast, not a true crime podcast, but.
0: As I think I'm going to have to
1: allow this now. As I was looking at this, I, I ran into a whole other story, which is crazy. I mean, was he just a curious hematologist or was he a cold-blooded murderer? The question must be asked.
2: A blue-blooded murderer.
1: <laughs> yes. Actually, yes. In all all levels, right? So 1965, this Lexington, Kentucky, which you will remember is where he's from. A housewife named Mary Cowane, a socialite daughter of a horse auctioneer, was found dead in her home. Married to one Madison Cowain the third. And at first I, I was like, this, this can't be right. Horse auctioneer? Yeah, yeah. She was the 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 socialite daughter of a horse auction. This was a, a position of privilege. I guess you don't go to a horse store. Well, you gotta get a horse from somebody. Yeah, the auctioneer, right? So this okay. and in Kentucky, uh, this is probably a very powerful family. So Madison was a very busy guy after coming back from the war, having fallen in love with blood. His wife, Mary, may have started off <laughs> As a happy wife, and they married in 1949. Blood is everything. But there were stories of Madison having at least two affairs, one with another hematologist, totally a vampire couple, and one with one of his colleagues' wives that went on for years. So there was quite a bit of trouble in paradise. Hmm. In uh, June of 1965, Mary and Madison went drinking with their friends, the Struthers. So we're going to switch a little bit here. I'm going to outline this potential crime here. Witnesses later said they all had about 10 cocktails at the country club and then drove awesome back to the Struthers to keep drinking. And around 1am, Mary said that she was ill and Sam Struther Jr. drove her home. I don't know why he drove her home instead of Madison. I'd still want it because they're all drunk at that point. I don't know. But anyway, so this Mary and Sam waited for the babysitter at the Coyne residence, both apparently in the bedroom because that was the only air conditioned room, which is totally sus. And then Sam <laughs> left to go drink more while Mary stayed at the house to be there for the sleeping children, just in case they needed some help that a very intoxicated mother could provide. So by reports, <laughs> Madison was too drunk to go home and then stayed the night at the Struther house. So that's what they said. The next morning though, Betty Struther who was the wife of Sam went to check on Mary after she didn't answer her phone and found her dead in the bedroom, fully clothed sitting up in a chair next to the bed with a partially empty bottle of booze there. Hmm. She called her, she called her husband who came over with Madison and they promptly took the scotch that was sitting on the bedside table and a beer that was sitting on the bedside table and threw those out for some unknown reason and then called some doctor friends to pronounce her dead instead of, I don't know, the police or the paramedics or the coroner or anyone else at all. They called their doctor friend. Job this per- is why I turn off my phone at night and when <laughs> you guys call, I don't answer. <laughs> Max, Max, hey, can, I can, need a solid come- I idea, so you got to come pronounce this lady dead. <laughs> um, Announce or pronouns? Uh, pronouns. You could that, pronounce, that doesn't yeah. even count pronouns. as a pun.
2: And then announce? no, no, you can pronounce and then announce, but you can't announce first because he pronounced
1: He didn't announce it to anyone else. He just it was like a secret, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually they got somebody. Now, during that, when he when he pronounced her, he noticed that there were two little needle injection points in the legs. He noticed a little bit of blood on her night skirt, I guess, or whatever they wore in 1965. Uh, So we don't know what that was. Okay, so Madison, of course, insisted it was a suicide. And when the police came, came a bit later to the crime scene. Um, they did an, an autopsy. They found a blood alcohol level of zero point four, <laughs> and I love how all the blogs that talk about this true crime are like just under the lethal limit. I'm like, that's not even close. No, no that's not even close. Well, to the it lethal
2: all limit. depends on how much you drink. If she's not habituated, point four could potentially.
1: Yeah, you or anything. I, but if if you go to the country club and you drink ten drinks and then drive home, mm-hmm. I think you're you're probably at least a little habituated. But anyway,
0: basically, what you're saying is that there's no universal lethal limit. It's just how much you. You have accustomed your biologic processes to alcohol, and there are some people that can do calculus at a point four and other people who can't possibly be awake or conscious at a point four.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing the conversations I've had where they seem totally lucid at that level. So, but the autopsy also found that she died of carbolic acid poisoning or phenol poisoning. And they said phenol gastritis is kind of what they said. I haven't seen the actual reports. It kind of be probably pretty fascinating to look at. So they they mm-hmm. concluded that she was poisoned or it was in her drink or something like that. So this, this phenol is a weak acid that none other than our, our, our own Dr. Joseph Lister, who we've talked about before used as an early antiseptic until it was abandoned due to skin irritation topical anesthetic too, but remembering that Madison started his career in World War II, phenol is also a poison that was used specifically by injection by the Nazis for executions. It causes rapid paralysis of the central nervous system. So Wow. I'm very suspicious about these little injection sites on both sides of her thigh. And there was one, I couldn't I couldn't double source this because, well, also I'm not a journalist and this isn't <laughs> a news podcast, but somebody mentioned that there was a, a syringe in the bedside drawer as well with Madison's fingerprints on it. Now he has an alibi, Madison has an alibi because he was apparently too drunk to leave his friend's houses, but he has a motive and I think he either was habituated. So he left during the time he said he was sleeping. Or that he got his friend Sam to inject Mary before he left. But that but what one, if it I was Sam?
2: What if it was Sam? They're both in the Definitely bedroom together. Be.
1: Nobody talks about Sam. All these people talk about all these other, like the other hematologist, or they talk about uh, the husband of the other affair he's had, which is actually a patient. Of his. Mm-hmm. Like every little layer of this onion just is more and more rotten. Um, and of course it's unsolved because nobody, this is a white, rich white guy in, in 1960s Kentucky. They never filed any charges at all for anyone for this crime. There was no trial. There was nothing at all. So, but everyone has concerns about Madison.
2: So, it was Sam yeah. case closed, find him.
1: Yeah, I mean, the mm-hmm. other hematologist, <laughs> she, she also would have had the knowledge. Well, yeah, so, Sam, anyway.
2: so Sam and Mary are having a thing. They're in the bedroom together, and, she, and she's about to tell her husband. And Sam's like, no, 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 you can't because I've got a happy marriage. I can't do this. He's like, I know how to keep you quiet. And he has a pocket full of phenol syringes
1: just in case. <laughs> but Sam's not a – okay, so the whole the only hole in that one is Sam wasn't a doctor. Sam was just one of their friends. But what did so he that, do for a living? Uh, pharmaceutical rep? No, 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 no. It was it was something else. It was like sales or something like that. But he had his friend. He had his friend Madison. So I I think somehow they worked together. All I, that's too big a coincidence. Your wife dies by an injection that you would have. No,
2: but again, her blood alcohol is point four. I mean, that's
0: like.
1: Yeah, she she definitely high. could have just she could have just died from that. It's definitely Should true. Have
0: been drunk? She. You reach in the bedside table. There's a bunch of phenol syringes. You don't know. What to, you don't know what to oh, do. Maybe stab yourself in oops. the thighs. Maybe yeah. they're
2: like, "Oh, that's Zofran." You feel like you're going to barf here. Just take a shot of this.
0: I don't think they developed it back then.
2: Oh, they had it. That's a whole. They just didn't theory,
0: tell Mike. anybody. Anyway,
1: <laughs> fuldamite. So Oof. for our true our two prime Too our two prime listeners, you got this is an interesting case, but sadly, it is unsolved.
2: Yeah, I don't well, think we're very good at true crime
0: presentation. I
2: mean, the presentation was great. I had our well, time. You're just
0: saying that Aaron isn't good at it. No,
2: I mean, he did a great we job. Were... No, what I, what I won't I'm saying do it is again. that that's okay. No, no, I love it. I I'm love it. i not
1: offended
0: at all.
2: <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, we could figure out the medical stuff a lot easier. That because clearly, I've already figured out this murder mystery. Yeah, you <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> that big of a deal. You, you
1: nailed it. Yeah, totally. We need it. to exhume Sam's body, and then. I mean that is totally sus. Here, I'll drive your wife home, and then we're gonna hang out in the bedroom.
2: Maybe oh, that's just the way that man. things happened back in the day.
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, nah, they said they locked the door. Would open you mind and,
3: uh, uh, doing a hit on my wife, mate? Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, no problem, mate.
1: Like that's
0: that can't be accurate. It's Using oh. an Australian accent, not a Southern accent. Well, it's not true to the story.
1: Oh, yes. I was just wondering if you could uh, take care of a little problem for me.
0: Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Like I do declare. I've got a real life
1: Things would be much easier if if I Just had you take care of a little problem
2: She shared her bed bed with my friend
0: Sam (laughs) Well now that we've Speculated well outside Of our scope (laughs) and offended The entire American South That being said I think that's probably Where we should leave it for today We appreciate everyone listening. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you shall find links to our social media sites. We take emails as well at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com. And if you're old-fashioned, send us a message in a bottle, throw it in the Great Lakes, and it'll probably arrive here someday. With that, that's all for today. Sam didn't do it. Mm
1: -hmm. He sí, said. Sí. Listen here.
3: May I
2: help we you? just need
1: to imagine that we're sitting on a nice wraparound porch, and oh, the, cricket, yeah. the crickets are going in the background. We got a nice, ice cold glass of a mint julep. Oh we yeah, I had a julep last weekend. Condensation oh, on, on the back, it.
2: right? <laughs> That's,
1: uh, that, that 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 their language is is not called for. There's no need. Oh, I
2: I lost it because I can hear us.
1: Uh, I'm aware. I'm trying to get you back I was on track. You're just your go going trying, to go an Australian trying, accident. I'm trying. Oh,
0: well, hello. Aaron is dialed in. May I, didn't I didn't help you? To I'm just all right, just hello to there. You, you back hey, in? All right. all right.
2: May I help you? Okay. Yeah, all I can right. help okay. you. Can you yeah, help yeah. me? Uh, okay. Thank you for helping me. All
0: right. That's yeah. I think we're I think we're pretty good here. Yeah. All right.
2: We're back. We're well,
0: back. Well, I already started the recording, so I think that be important. <laughs> <Let's go>. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an well, outtake, let's... old boy. There's an
1: outtake. <laughs> hey, you might. I don't know. You might want to edit out some of that last one. I don't know how far it went off the rails, but I had to. I was to it. Yeah, I
2: liked it a lot. I liked it a lot, the dark you twist. Would.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, at first I was reading it going, I don't know, this is way outside. And I was like,
2: no, this is actually
0: pretty it's part crazy. of the story. Yeah. It's I like the tangent, story. like mm-hmm. tangent. Yeah.
2: You know, what? We're it's like, oh, Phineas Gage, his story. Like, OK, so he got a rod through his head and then he was different. <laughs> like there was more to the story that wasn't medical, but, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it was the actual guy, so. And it wasn't interesting to look into the Keats of Kentucky. There was just a lot of old 18th century poetry. (laughs) How many
0: poems can you write about the fucking
1: Ozarks?
0: (laughs) But they weren't writing it about hard to rhyme too. Their
1: blueness. No, no. Well, he wasn't blue. That was that was that was Is that
0: that Smoky Mountains? Oh, that's right.
1: Uh, The Smokies are down there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are the Smokies the
0: Ozarks or the Ozarks? That is a darn good good question. I
1: don't know. We could Google it right now. I don't really want to know the answer, though. A lot of people are, uh, they, they listen to the Vegetable Wars we had a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, in
0: fact, uh, I, should, I should have pointed out that uh, in in the beginning that uh, the uh, we could, should have had a, sh- a shout out that uh, listeners have overwhelmingly weighed in, two of them saying that peas are amazing and that Mike is wrong.
2: How many people, if, was it, it probably was just two people. i mean those are the
0: two that i recall i know there was many others
2: yeah yeah i think i i took a really hard stance like i probably shouldn't have said i would take a shit on the peas and (laughs) throw them in the garbage (laughs) that was a little i think it made it
0: into the episode
2: no it did actually it did yeah i I remember listening to it that's right that's i think it's my mother was horrified it's fine